Um, in that frame of thinking, I'd like to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to finish the, the uh, book or the letter to the Philippian church this morning as uh, we look at the final few verses of, of this chapter. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul uh, ends the, his letter in a similar manner to the way he started his letter to the Philippians. In, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And it's all about this participation in the gospel that, that Paul then expounds perhaps a little more even at the end of his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 2, we understand that, that Paul extends his gratitude uh, to the Philippians for their, their generous giving to him, generous even, even from uh, a position of great need in their own life, uh, they still gave to the Apostle Paul and his ministry. And uh, in response, in chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about uh, sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to them. And it's a, a reciprocal giving, if you will. Uh, Paul expressed his, uh, gave to them this great spiritual blessing in bringing the gospel to them. They respond in thanksgiving to him by, by providing for him with uh, material needs that he had to continue his ministry elsewhere. And, and Paul responds back to them in gratitude for their gift by sending two of his closest companions to minister to them until he can uh, 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 actually arrive there again in Philippi as is his hope. Now, I, I have to say that that, that kind of uh, giving and receiving and giving back and receiving and giving back again. And this back and forth is kind of a healthy and godly cycle of what it means to, to give. It's a, and, and receive. There, it's a mutual exchange in a lot of ways. Um, it's kind of like a, a, a cycle of giving and receiving that develops its own kinetic energy. And it, it, it continues to move uh, on its own. And, and that is kind of what we're going to unpack this morning. This is God's economy of grace at work. His economy of grace in giving and receiving. Now, in chapter 4... Last week, uh, John uh, got through verse 13. Starting in verse 10, Paul starts to reiterate his gratitude to the Philippian church for their generosity toward him. Again, even in their poverty and the fact that Paul is grateful for whatever has been given to them, whether it was much or whether it was little, he was grateful for any gift and satisfied in whatever, whatever circumstance he was in. 
It didn't matter whether he was in a period of abundance or a period of lack. He was satisfied in that. And Paul wants the Philippian church to know that he's grateful to them for being part of God's provision for him. Um, in, in the in the first chapter, we see that, that sense of being part of God's provision as partnership or being, being a part of participating in the work of the Lord. Now, this gratitude that Paul is, is expressing here in chapter, chapter 4, verses one, uh, 10 through 13, this gratitude is the context of verse 13. Verse 13 is that iconic text, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, it, is a, it is a verse that we hear very often, but it's important to note the context. Context makes all the difference. You see, I, I, my sense is that, that this verse has been taken out of context and used erroneously by a lot of believers, thinking that it means I can do all things. That means I can do anything I want. That means I can follow through with any ambition that God, that, that I have and expect God to bless it. Well, that's really not where uh, Paul is coming from. The context, again, is verses 10 through 12, where he's speaking of gratitude for giving and satisfaction in whatever circumstances he is in. And Paul writes, I, I can do all things in light of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I can persevere and not only survive, but even thrive in whatever circumstances I'm in through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I met um, my, my uh, friend Mark last night after church, and uh, he is a Greek, he's a Greek, Guy, He's, he understands the Greek language, studies the, the New Testament in Greek, and his comment to me was that he, he really likes the new NIV translation of this, in which Paul says, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me, reflecting back on the previous uh, three verses, 10 through 12. I can do all of this. I can do all of this, uh, even rejoicing in whatever circumstances I'm in by virtue of the strength that Christ gives me. Um, now, verse four, 14, Paul goes on. This is new territory for us this week. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. It's interesting, this word share in the Greek is, uh, is a, a word created by two words being combined together. It's, it, it sounds like this, sin, sin quinaneo, uh, sin quinaneo. Doesn't that just get your motor running? To know the Greek language that way, sin quinaneo. Well, some of you may recognize the word koinonia in that word. How many of you, is that a familiar word to you? Yeah, a few of us here this morning. Uh, it's, it's one of those Greek words that has been brought into our contemporary 
uh, Christian vocabulary in this in our present culture, and it means fellowship. Surely it means all things to do with fellowship. It's, it, it means to communicate with. It means uh, to share uh, indeed with others. It, it even includes this idea of giving or distributing and then also partaking. And that's, all of that's included in fellowship. On Saturday nights, we have a fellowship time after the service on the patio, and it includes food. What a great thing, right? To fellowship around food. We do that a lot, and quite honestly, that's a biblical thing to do. And, and it, it, somebody brings the food, and, and, and people, in, uh, they, they receive the food, but they then also donate their $2 to, to keep it coming and that kind of thing, and it's, it's self-sustaining, and that is the giving and the receiving that's going on there in fellowship. Now, this word share in verse 14, uh, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. That word share, again, is the combination of the word sin in Greek, sin, not S-I-N in English. In English, it would be transliterated as S-Y-N, sin quinineo, S-Y-N, in, as in synchronization. Uh, we, we have gears, right, in our transmissions, and, and those gears work together. They're different gears, but they work together. They're designed to work together. And working together, they can do more than they can do by themselves. And so this word sin quinineo means the working together of all that is involved in fellowship. And in so doing, there is, there is this, there is a sense of even increase in the sharing. Now, Paul says, um, I want to thank you for sharing in my affliction. My affliction? Who wants to share in affliction? And yet that's precisely what Paul says that they have done. Now, when we're in trouble, right? Um, and we call some, some friends to come and help us. Who is it that comes it's either those who are already your close friends or those who will become your close friends. You see, in the middle of sharing in one another's struggles and one another's concerns and difficulties, there is a bond that happens that, that doesn't happen otherwise. And, and so Paul is saying, thank you for sharing and becoming involved in so much that you've synchronized with, with me in the fellowship that we share. And in so doing, we can do more. We have done more than we could do apart. But the sharing doesn't stop there. Look at verse 15 and 16 with me. You yourselves also know, you Philippians, that 
at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Paul says there is, again, this giving and receiving. It's a mutual exchange for mutual benefit. You see, the, the church at Philippi passed along material gifts to the apostle. And they did so in response to the fact that he imparted to them spiritual gifts. He invited, imparted to them spiritual blessing. And they responded with giving material gifts. And Paul says that he sees this, quite honestly, as a reasonable exchange. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he writes these words to the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church was one that he ministered to even through the gifts or the support of others. He says there in 1 Corinthians 9, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. You see, Paul, Paul understands that this is a reasonable exchange. He's justified in receiving material needs from those to whom he ministers. Now, in Corinth, however, he chose not to receive from those in Corinth because he was concerned that if he did so, it might hinder the work of the gospel there. Um, it's interesting that, that uh, he would perceive that as a possibility. I think it's, it, it ref is reflected even today in our culture. Some expect that, that the ministry of the church should come with no strings attached, should come with, with absolute freedom and, and, and be free for the taking. Indeed, Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give to his, his disciples later on. And we're going to unpack that scripture in a few moments. But Paul's saying, wait a second, there, th this is a reasonable expectation. It's... it's um, it's a bit uncomfortable in, in terms of a topic, quite honestly, because, because we, uh, we, we desire to give freely. Those who are involved with the ministry of the church desire to give freely because they've free, we've all freely received eternal life from Jesus, right? But there is a, a need as well to be responsible, to be good stewards of both, both the needs of the church and the needs of the families of those who serve. 
in order to continue the work of God that he has called them to. The topic of giving for the sake of continued ministry, both at home and communities beyond, is an important one. That is often a chal- it's often challenging because we have difficulty honestly quantifying the value of spiritual ministry. On the one hand, we know that where we stand spiritually has eternal consequences, and therefore it's of immeasurable value. And on the other hand, we know that salvation is a free gift of God, and we are admonished by Jesus again to give freely because we've received freely. Matthew 10, Jesus uh, instructs the 12 to, to go out and minister in his name. And he gives these words to them. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. That's some kind of ministry, right? Yeah. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. You see, Jesus' expectation is is that, guys, you you don't need to bankroll your missionary journey. It's reasonable to expect that those that you minister to will also minister to you in return. In other words, the, the needs that you have will be met by those that you give the gospel to, the people that you minister to. And that's, that's the expectation here. Jesus is clear that the worker is not to worry about provision, but that the worker is worthy of his support. It's curious to me, Jesus said an awful lot about money. Um, there's, there's numerous places in the New Testament where Jesus spoke about money. In brief, he says money is something that we should manage, not something that we should be managed by. He also is clear in saying where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Now we spend our resources and how we spend them reflects where our heart is. We see that Paul, what Paul truly cares about in the very next verse, verse 17. There he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Hmm. Paul knows that there is benefit for the Philippian believers, even in their act of giving. There is benefit returned to them. Again, the Apostle Paul writes, this time in the second letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 9, he says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You see, this is a biblical principle. Giving increases blessing and the capability of giving even more. It's because the attention of the giver is not on the gift itself. It's on the need or the opportunity that they see before them. And the giving has has the clear consequence of impacting that need and, and increasing opportunity. And I believe that is indeed what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he talks about the profit which increases to your account in verse 17. In addition, in addition, when we give freely, God does marvelous and miraculous multiplication. Think about it. It's all for his purposes, right? What do we see in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000? We see those who came to Jesus with a relatively small and meager gift. And Jesus takes that and multiplies it so much so that there are leftovers too much to carry. It is the way God works. In the giving of of what we give, God delights in multiplying it for the sake of blessing others. We see that in the life of Elijah. Remember when Elijah went and and, uh, met this widow and asked the widow to prepare a meal for him and Well, wait a second. She was already at the end of what she had. All she had was a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and and, and no resources to get more. She was preparing to die, right? And Elijah, this prophet of God, presumes to, to ask her for a meal. What in the world is he doing? Doesn't he know that she's at the end of her resources? But she obliges. And in her giving, what happens? The oil never runs out. And that's the delight that we have in giving to God. He delights in responding in provision. We see this in our own circumstances, right here at our church. You know that that once upon a time we were, we felt like we were rolling in great blessing, had resources beyond measure. And now it's not that way. And yet God provides for us month after month after month after month Never once have we operated in the red. Each month the Lord provides and we are in the black. And we see this continued provision. Provision not just for our needs here, but provision even for the needs that we've committed to 
to give toward to others. Missionaries serving elsewhere, we continue to give because that is part of what the Lord has called us to, part of what we want to do, right? The most striking illustration of this is our relationship with the church in Newark, The Rock. And many of you are familiar with our relationship there. It's, it's a unique one. Several years ago, um, the, Lord, the Lord opened up our eyes to an opportunity. It was not a stated need. It was an opportunity. And the opportunity was this. Here was a, a, a pastor working at planting a church in the heart of Newark, New Jersey, in the hood, in the heart of the hood where gangs are rampant and violence is daily and there God called him to minister. And he was working a full-time job and could not get to Newark except certainly on the weekends and maybe possibly one day uh, in in the midweek. And the Lord opened our eyes to say, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if he could be full-time in ministry there in Newark? And the Lord delivered to us this opportunity to provide a salary for him so that he could be full-time in sharing the gospel there in Newark. Guess what has happened? (laughs) The Lord has has opened up beyond measure opportunities as a result. You know, it just so happens that they they were able to move into an old, old church building that had been abandoned for years. And that church building absolutely is amazing in and of itself. But guess where it's located? Right across the street from an elementary school. And right down the street from the projects where the gang activity has its epicenter. And as they are able to be there every day, every night, they are able to minister in ways that they never had imagined. Now children come after school, and we're not talking five or six, we're talking 30, 40, 50 kids after school daily coming to the church right across the street. They come to hang out, play basketball, and uh, get snacks. Yeah, because a lot of them don't get dinner at home. Some of them stay late into the night, nine, ten o'clock. Some of you are thinking, what in the world? How in the world should that be? Well, some of their parents, quite honestly, are involved in, in uh, jobs that we may not consider to be um, all that good. And these kids are on their own. And yet, because of the resources that we've been able to share, Ray and Ruthie are there to minister to these kids. Not only these kids, but gang members. And the gang members' families. Ray, Ray was called uh, last year to, to do a funeral for the, uh, the sister of a gang member. And as a result, there's been doors that have been opened wider and wider 
and wider for him to minister in the lives of these gang members. Not only the gang members. Still it goes on. The police department who gets involved with the gang members. Ray has been involved with the police department and now even the city government. All because they're there. They're just there. And that is a result of your generosity and continued generosity. Not just, not just when it felt like we had plenty to give, but even now. God is doing marvelous things by virtue of the sharing. And it's, it's reciprocal. There, there, many of you remember uh, Ray coming and teaching here. He did, our, he did our men's retreat input a couple years ago. And, and uh, their, their women have been involved with our women's group. And there is this bond happening. There is this sinquinaneo happening even. This fellowship across the miles. Again, I, I believe that this, this type of mutual benefit is, is what, what uh, the apostle Paul is talking about in verse 17, again, with the profit that increases to your account. In addition, that profit is this. It speaks of freedom from the cares of this world. You know, we all have a propensity to, to be consumed by material things. It's kind of a disease in our society. But Jesus says it's those things that choke out the word. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uh, explains the parable of the sower to his, his disciples after they ask him to do so. And the seed that is sown among the tares, his response is this, uh, or the, uh, the, uh, among the thorns. Jesus said, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the world and, word and it becomes unfruitful. You see, giving is one of the antidotes to the disease of materialism. It's an antidote that needs to be applied repeatedly. Repeatedly because materialism is so insidious and so pervasive. A regular habit of giving helps us maintain our freedom from the clutches of materialism and keeps our focus on the greater reality of our spiritual life. God knows the value of repetition and regularity in giving. That's why, well, it's at least one of the reasons he instituted the tithe in the days of the law of Moses. What is a tithe? Well, a tithe is, is the bringing of 10% of your, of your uh, produce and giving it to the Lord. Now, today, we're no, un, no longer under the law of Moses, right? 
We, uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul, he, uh, a big part of his writing is, the fa- is the, about the idea of being free from the law. So we're no longer under the law of the tithe. This that was originally designed to help God's people live in his continued favor. But we are called to follow Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law. Today, again, we're not under the law of the tithe, but we are called to yield instead our entire lives to God in gratitude for his free gift of salvation. Instead, instead of the tithe, we're invited to bring an offering. An offering that speaks of our gratitude to God. Romans 12, verse 1, Paul writes this verse in response to his long treatise about the grace of God in the first 11 chapters. And he sums that up by saying, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which, by the way, is your spiritual service of worship. That, the, the word spiritual service of worship is, is, uh, has the word logikos in it. It is the only logical thing to do, according to the Apostle Paul. It's the only thing to make, that makes sense. In light of God's great grace, we're invited to bring an offering of all that we are. Jesus taught this principle to his disciples. Mark 12, and he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to about a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. She put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on. Again, this is the prophet that is counted to our account simply pleasing Jesus. Let's look at verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance, says the Apostle Paul. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You know, the first reference to um, an offering uh, becoming a sweet or fragrant aroma to God is found in uh, Genesis chapter 8 where Noah built an altar to the Lord after the flood had receded. And he took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. 
For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. What do you suppose the smell of a burnt offering, a burnt sacrifice, why is that pleasing to God? I mean, have you ever smelled flesh burning? It doesn't smell very good, does it? It's pretty pungent. Why in the world would God conceive of this as being fragrant, pleasing to him? Well, think about it. When an offering is put on, on an altar and it is burned up, it is completely consumed. And that's indeed what God desires of us, that we would be completely consumed by him. That we would give our all to him. And again, that's why Paul writes in, in Romans 12, 1, that when we give our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, it's acceptable to him. And again, that's why Paul says the Philippians' sacrificial giving is well-pleasing to God. William Tyndale writes, all sincere Christian service which entails sacrificial and self-denying cost not only promotes the cause of Christ and strengthens the hand of God's servants, but it is an act of worship in which God takes pleasure. In which God takes pleasure. You know, for the child of God, there is no better reward no better sense of glorious satisfaction than knowing your service pleases your heavenly Father. To cause his face to shine to, and his countenance to lift, to know his smile, to know God's smile is the greatest blessing. Perhaps, just perhaps, that's the deeper meaning in the ironic blessing. You know that blessing that we often speak over the congregation at the end of the service? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace. You know, on the outset, we, we hear that prayer and we think, we think that surely that means God simply out of his goodness will, will reach to us. It's solely his impetus to us to, to bless us. And I don't think that's wrong. That's absolutely there. But I, this thought crept into my head as, as I was studying that perhaps Perhaps the blessing of God's favor that we expect to be simply from his initiative alone is also his response. His response to our sacrificial giving. Consider that. Verse 29. And my God, here is, a, here is one of those 
very important, iconic scriptures again. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, we have to understand this in context. Again, this is Paul simply spilling out this thought in in view of what he's just been talking about. My sense is it would be like this. In other words, you have generously supplied my physical requirements by your gifts. That's what the Apostle Paul has been saying, right? And God is a rewarder of such self-sacrificing service. My God will not disappoint you in the full supply of whatever you may need. In fact, the source and the extent of his divine supply are given according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Note that that, that, that glorious sense of, of uh, assurance given by the Apostle Paul starts with, my God, my God. This is emanating from a very personal relationship that the Apostle Paul has with Christ Jesus. And it's verified by his very personal experience. And then he says, all your needs, not just some of them. And then he says, according to his riches, according to the riches in Christ Jesus, the measure of God's provision as expressed in this prepositional phrase, according to, makes it clear that the rewarding will not merely be, merely in quotes, from his wealth, but in a scale worthy of his wealth. Wow. Who can estimate the range and the depths of these riches? Every conceivable human need is more than adequately supplied from this majestic source. Romans 11, again, the Apostle Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen and amen. It's important to note that the assurance of God's provision, the assurance of God's provision is the context of Paul's expression of gratitude for the selfless and generous giving of the Philippian church. And it's also important to understand that this is Paul's, this, this verse here, verse 19, is Paul's expression of thanks for their generosity. His confidence is rooted in his own experience of God's provision, as well as his knowledge of both, both the scriptures and the character of God. Now it's good, it's good for us to take confidence in this verse. 
good for us to expect that this is applicable to us. God's provision even for us is found here. But take note, his provision is for our needs, not our wants. God will deliver all we need, whether it be material or spiritual. God will deliver all of our need. It's interesting that the deeper we go spiritually, the less we perceive our needs materially. Let me say that again. The deeper we go spiritually, the less we perceive our needs materially. Even to the point of being able to say very authentically, when we sing, all I need is you. All I need is you, God. Verse 20. Now to God and Father, to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All this giving and receiving, all this thanksgiving and blessing, all this sacrifice and supply that Paul has been talking about, all of it is about bringing glory to God. All of it narrows our focus upon God and upon his purposes, upon his promises, upon his provision. It's all about him. And then in verses 21 and 22, we have this this nice greeting that Paul ends a lot of his letters with. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you, and the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Note that he says, greet every saint. Every single one. They're all important. And he says, greet every saint. Saint. Do you know that if the Apostle Paul was standing here this morning, he would call you saints? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, lest you think that it's because you are so great, I need to say get over yourself, all right? Because the word saint means holy one. How are we made holy? We're made holy by virtue of the gift of God in the death of Christ. Paid, paying our debt of sin. What is the wages of sin? Death. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Every single one of us. And yet God has given us this great blessing of paying our debt in the death of Jesus. He died instead of us. And it's that truth that we sing. We sang about it right before the message here this morning. Jesus paid it all. And then we hear that word, those, that phrase, 
all to him I owe? Do we owe God something? Does does he expect something from us? No, his, his gift was freely given. That sense of owing something are the words of the hymn writer who out of great gratitude says, I gotta give something back. That's all I can do. And that's indeed what the Apostle Paul urges us to do, to give back in response to God's amazing gift of grace. Now, he says, interestingly here, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That sounds a little strange, doesn't it? But I think it uncovers the fact that What Paul is saying is that there are believers who've been made holy by virtue of God's great gift to them, even here in Rome. We've heard it said that Paul was chained to a Roman soldier. Guess what they probably talked about? And they couldn't get away from each other. And guess what? That Roman soldier probably went home and talked about with his family what Paul talked with him about. There's freedom for you. There's freedom from guilt. There's freedom from sin. There's freedom from condemnation. And it all, it's all there for you. And we know that the church in Rome began to grow. And so that is indeed probably where this comes from. It, I, it's probably certain that, that um, Caesar's actual relatives were probably not believers. But those who worked for Caesar's household, whether they be soldiers or servants or whatever, were impacted by the gospel. Now, um, the apostle Paul ends in verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Similar to what he wrote to Timothy in his second letter to him. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. As the worship team comes, I'd like to just unpack this a little bit. This this, uh, grace that Paul says, may it be with you, your spirit, your, your life. May the grace of God be manifest in you and through you. May it be totally evident that the grace of God has been something you've been marinating in. That's that's what the gospel is all about, right? Many of us in this room, like we've said, are those who've said yes to the grace of God. And, And we are those who can say, yes, we are counted among the saints, God's holy ones, by virtue of the fact that Jesus' death paid for our sins and we are made holy by it. But if there is anybody here this morning who has not had that exchange happen, God's grace being given and then received by you, today's the day. Join the company of saints. Would you stand with me? 
There will be those up here to pray with you if, if you desire prayer for anything, whether it's in, in view of what I've just spoken or, or any other need. People will be waiting to pray with you here this morning, even as the, as the worship team leads us. They are going to lead us in a song that, that leads us to putting our eyes upon the cross. The cross that, that means the payment for our sin. The, the redemption of our lives. It's there that we focus our gratitude to God. Lord, this morning we thank you for, we thank you so much for the gift of your salvation. We know that that salvation that you freely give to us costs a great deal. And yet you yourself bore that cost in your own flesh and blood. Today, Lord, we give thanks for that. And if anyone is here again who has not made a commitment to Jesus and said to him, I I receive that gift and want my life to reflect that truth. I invite you today to do that. Praying the prayer is simple. It's simply saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. And I thank you that you paid the penalty of my sin upon the cross and I receive that gift from you right now. Help me live my life in response to that great truth. Help me live my life in gratitude for what you have accomplished. If you prayed that prayer, I invite you to share it with somebody somebody here today. Let's sing together.